The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. It's about trust. Yeah, yeah. It's about faith. It's about trust. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. Your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel and she privately mediates business, employment, divorce, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI. She also trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about this show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Samari, who's your guest today? Well, we have a wonderful guest with us today, Dr. Rita A. um, Eichenstein, who is a Ph.D. and a noted psychologist and pediatric neurophysicist, uh, neuropsychologist. She's renowned in the field of child development, and she's the author of this book I've been reading called Not What I Expected. Help and Hope for Parents of Atypical Children. She's also the author of the popular blog, Positively Atypical. She's an expert in the fields of child development and special education, and she maintains a private practice at Senior Sinai's Medical Towers in Los Angeles, California. And there she specializes in child assessment and counseling of parents of atypical children. So this is really an important issue. We hear all the time about all the challenges with kids who have ADD, ADHD, um, we, uh, you know, uh, all sorts of Asperger's syndrome and, and things like that. So um, this is really an important issue of our times. And when parents find out that they've got a child of this um, that has this disability or has a diagnosis like this, there's often that conflict arises between the couple, and it's very challenging for the cu- for the whole family. And so um, Rita is wonderful at working with this. So first of all, um, Rita, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. So, when and why would you? Um, why would you? Would a parent take a child to see you? Well, typically, um, parents are referred to me either through the school or their pediatrician, or quite often it's a parent that has a gut feeling in their stomach that just something's not right. Their child is struggling. They feel like something's off, and they can't put their finger on it. And so a neuropsychological assessment looks at the whole child and the whole brain and sees if there's a functional limitation that's affecting the child um, in ways that may not immediately show up in school or in their academics or in their social skills, but nevertheless can definitely exist. Right. So <clears throat> the name of your book is Not What I Expected, uh, Parenting 
uh, a special needs child from diagnosis to acceptance and beyond. So why is it that you wrote this book? Well, you know, I've been working with kids for a long time, and um, those of us who go into this field, or any field particularly that works with kids, we think that we're going to devote ourselves to the children that we see. And the invisible player in this game are the parents. And it was an astounding thing to find out when I started to research what is written on parents and parents' emotions and how I, as a professional, can help parents cope with their tremendous outpouring of feelings that they might have if they have get a diagnosis for their child. And to my astonishment, there was nothing written on the subject. And I started to realize the more I did research is that parents are largely ignored in the field of working with children. So the client, so to speak is purportedly the child, but the real client here is the entire family and the family system and the dynamics that happens between um, parents and the children. And what I discovered is that parents have to take care of their own feelings before they can come and be the kind of mentor and cheerleader and positive person in their child's life. And so often, parents are struggling with their own feelings, and nobody asks them, how are you doing? Or the parent feels guilty that they're going through these horrible, cascading feelings. And to the outside world, there's nothing wrong with their child. You know, a child with dyslexia or some of the high-functioning Asperger's kids, they look typical to the outside world. And yet the parent knows that this child not only has a profound diagnosis, but that this child is going to be encountering a great deal of struggle in their life, and that it's the parent's job to find out how to help them. So along with all of that knowledge, is there is a real grieving process that happens for parents in terms of giving up their image of the idealized child and learning to accept the real child, the very real, wonderful, gifted, talented child that they have, but it's a different model than the one that they expected. Yes. And, yeah. And, and you know, I, I've actually done a couple divorces in, in the past years of couples who had an autistic child, and they were just suffering, you know, and and nobody had really helped them during the process of trying to help their own child, and it just alienated them. So let's talk about some of these emotional phases to expect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you're bringing that up because the statistics are very high in terms of divorce among parents of atypical children. Um, it's legendarily high. I don't know what the real statistics are, but the legend is that it's like two-thirds or three-quarters or yeah. just a very high number. And so this type of conflict is particular to parents with atypical children. And when I use the word atypical, I'm encompassing all types of children that have a diagnosis or a non-diagnosis that affects who they are, how they learn, how they function, um, that makes them different. 
Yeah. By the way, that can often be a quirky child. A quirky, annoying, right. uh, bossy, right. <laughs> difficult child also. You know, they don't right. have to have a diagnosis in order for parents to suffer through um, how to cope. Yes, yes. And so what happens to parents? And the, the initial phase that parents go through is denial. <clears throat> um, it, it's so not normal to be in denial when your child has an issue, um, the denial can last for a second or it can last for a much longer time. And here we get the first type of conflict that couples will encounter, which is when there's one parent who's more in denial than the other. Right, right. And that's pretty classic. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically, it's the stay-at-home mom or the parent that is more involved with the kids that is much more aware that something is amiss and they don't know what it is. So they'll tell their partner at dinner that night, honey, something's wrong. And the partner at dinner will say, what are you talking about? He's fine. Come here, kid. You know, let's play ball. See, he's fine. Or let's read. He's fine. Um, Shutting down and marginalizing the parent, usually the mom, that feels that something's amiss. This mom is going to go to her pediatrician and she's going to say, I think there's something wrong with my child, but I'm not sure what it is. Right. And many parents report to me that the pediatricians, and, and most pediatrici- pediatricians are actually wonderful people, and but they often are really best at calming parents down rather than identifying these types of developmental issues. And so they'll say, let's give it some time. Um which in many diagnoses is actually not the right thing to say, but it's, you know, in that 15-minute checkup, that is not exactly the right time to um, address these kinds of issues. And in my book, I talk about how to set up more time with your pediatrician to discuss your concerns. But so the mom comes back to me and says, so the pediatrician thinks I'm exaggerating. My husband thinks I'm crazy. My mother-in-law thinks I'm crazy. The teacher at school doesn't think there's anything wrong, but I think there's something wrong. Am I crazy? And um, that's when an assessment comes into play. And, and so I talk about how the clarification that comes from getting more information really helps break that bond of denial that the conflicting parent often has information is really the key to knowing, at least breaking through the denial. Um, And even then, the parent can stay in denial about what to happen next. Right. But at least they have a third-party expert that tells them, yeah, there is something wrong. So that that helps to at least kind of push them to the next stage, right? Right, which is which is very complex because the next stage is anger. Right. <laughs> so if you, uh, the way I think about anger is the mama bear in the cave. I mean, if you come upon a hibernating mama bear with her young in the cave and you disturb them, she's going to come out roaring at you. And when a child is, feels threatened, there's a perceived threat, someone is going to come out roaring. And one of the parents are usually go through a period of being enraged. Um, anger always seeks a target. 
you can't be angry at a thing. Like, you can't be angry at dyslexia. You can't be angry at autism. You look for a target. And, of course, when there is no target, you land on the most convenient target. This is human nature. This isn't that you're a bad person, but anger is a primitive response. It's quite can be quite destructive, right. but it creates the biggest amount of conflict we have within families is anger, hostility, um, raging, and in parents with children who are struggling, there is so much more of this. And in my book, I talk about the different causes of anger, um, fear of losing control, Yes. Um, fear of that your child, that you did something wrong, that you're going to have to cope. How are you going to afford all these services? This can't be true. This can't be happening to our family. I'm a nice person. I work hard. I've always done the right thing. Um, particularly people who are in professions where they go to work and are the boss at something and they feel very competent and then they come home. And there's nothing like having an atypical child to make you feel like whatever you've done till now isn't good enough, that it's, it's very humbling. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's a difficult feeling to deal with. And so, so many people fall into blame. I call it the blame game. You blame the school. You blame the doctor. You blame the, the hospital. You blame the environment, um, the food. You know, there's... So many things, so many reasons Right. to blame. You go you do Internet searches, and you can Google anything. Wheat, yeah. <laughs> dairy, toxins, terrible school system. Um, you can find something to blame if you're looking. And in my book, I talk about how to shift the blame and create a more positive mindset um, and how to take the blame and the guilt, and turn your dial upward to positivity, because there's so many guilt trips that you can lay, particularly on yourself or your partner. And I talk about a lot how a lot of these disorders are, there's no blame to be had. Um, a lot of these disorders are genetic. If they're not just genetic, we don't know what causes them. We have some ideas. But the fact of the matter is it's irrelevant at the point where you are. Yes. The main thing now is to move into what are we going to do to fix this. Right, right. You know, it's like they say, you know, the Buddha had said, all suffering comes from not accepting what is. <laughs> and so, you know, if they want, you know, they just, if they get stuck in that suffering stage, um, then they can't get to the point of, really problem-solving and and focusing on how can we make this a good situation. And then they go through, you know, you have another one here, then they they go through the bargaining. Ah. Yeah. Well, I've got a lot to say about bargaining. We certainly don't have enough, but yes. So the the human brain is designed to be a problem-solver, a solution-oriented problem-solving mechanism at its most efficient And every time you solve a problem, you get a little surge of feel-good chemicals, like, aha, I did it, I found it. It's tremendously satisfying to search for a solution and find it. Unfortunately, 
with so many of our childhood disorders, there's no easy fix. Um, some of these issues are quite stubborn, and the kids have to um, slowly make their way through development with enough support so that they grow into the lovely people that they are going to become. And yet, many parents get caught in the seeking solution phase where they're bargaining, looking for different treatments, and they become vulnerable to a lot of snake oil salesmen out there. There is no one more vulnerable than a suffering parent. Right, right. And there are lots of opportunities, um, you know, that. so I caution parents against slick websites, uh, testimonials without real scientific data to back them up, um, and a lot of hoping. And my neighbor told me about this and that. Well, there's a lot out there, but I have yet to find a one treatment that will cure Everything from ADHD to autism to dyslexia to sensory processing disorder, it it just doesn't exist. Mm. And so I talk about find a group of professionals and trust them. There are, on the other hand, some people that have managed to do research and find some breakthrough um, creative solutions that are effective, but that's not the majority of people. Um, so there are some that I talk about in my book that have hired the right kinds of researchers and have come up with solutions. There was a movie um, many years ago called Lorenzo's Oil about parents who actually found the type of oil that could cure their child's affliction. You know, this is what parents dream about. They right, dream about right. being Miracles. the ones who really yeah. help cure their child. Right. But in the meantime, we're losing precious time on using this standard of care solutions that people have researched and worked so hard to develop. Mm. And we know what helps. Um, Maybe not everything, but we certainly know um, enough. And parents don't need to spend too much time in the bargaining phase, and a lot of them do get caught in that. Um, and, And what happens when they bargain unsuccessfully, so they'll put a lot of money onto a technique that guarantees results in six months and then nothing happens. Um, Parents tend to go into depression, which is the next phase. And depression is very common among parents with children who are struggling, especially after they've been trying and trying. And there there are certain types of milestones that kids... uh, encounter in their lives that will plunge the parents again into depression. You know, graduating from high school is a milestone or getting accepted to the the middle school that kids are applying to or making the drama group or all kinds of these milestones that perhaps your child isn't going to be part of Mm. or playing little league or making the soccer team that your child isn't going to be able to do because they just can't do to their diagnosis. Right. And right. it can be really depressing. It, you feel socially isolated from your friends. There is a level of stigma and shame, unfortunately, that's still available. Mm. And, it, um, and it creates conflict between the parents and their social world. Right, right. 
And and then, of course, it comes home to them. They get conflict between themselves. And then this is not healthy for the children to experience that kind of conflict. Absolutely. Yeah. How does that affect the child? Absolutely. So children need parents to be unified on their team and positive. Children learn from parents how to be in the world and how to meet conflict and how to uh, solve conflict. And when parents are stuck in their own conflict, which leads to rage and arguing, they're not modeling positive coping behaviors for their children. Um, and I think the best predictor for children in terms of overcoming or mastering society, mastering their lives in spite of uh, their diagnoses, really has to do with how the parents instill the kind of resilience and optimism and um, creative problem solving that these types of parents must do all day, every day. Um, So I bring it back to the parents. I say, be the best kinds of people you can be. Don't wrap your life around the child. You want to take ballroom dancing? Take ballroom dancing. You want to develop your own career? Develop your own career. Share it with your child. Don't become stuck in your children's problems. And then there's a lot of parents who have gone on to become professional advocates where they work in the school system once they have raised their child. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what to do in the school system. Right. Or, right. or they go on to develop a fabulous career, encore career, or a hobby that has to do with that springboarded because of their child's disability, volunteering in Special Olympics, for example. Right. Or... Um, for being an advocate for Autism Speaks. So I talk in my book about a lot of these parents who once they've gone through their own process, they feel so much more ready and able to help other parents who are still struggling, still stuck in all these phases, and how to pull them through to ultimately reach acceptance. Right. So let's talk a little bit about acceptance. You have uh, in your chapter here the neuropsychology of acceptance. Let's talk a little bit. How do we move into acceptance? I mean, I think any kind of grieving when when you lose a loved one, when you go through a divorce, if you have a, a, a if you find out you have cancer, you find out that your child is sick, or you find out a diagnosis for your child such as this. This you know there is. How do we get to acceptance? What is the what's happening with the brain? Well, it's interesting. It's, it's a very challenging thing because when I talk about acceptance, I talk about active acceptance because the brain can adapt to become, to adapt to a situation, and I don't consider that acceptance. You can get used to, just like you can get used to um, uh, traffic noise outside your window, you can get used to living with a negative situation. Um, it doesn't do anything for your stress response. Your cortisol levels can still be up. You can still be living with unbearable situation, but you just kind of sort of what you say cope with it, but you're not really coping. You just become sort of oblivious. Um, and that's really not what I call active acceptance. 
active acceptance takes work, and it really takes work on yourself. Um, because you can be a perfectly humming machine on the outside, you know, getting your children to their uh, therapies and their carpools and being completely organized. But on the inside, you can feel like a robot. You can be joyless, repressed, dulled down, just sort of going through the motions. And parents who have found the growth and joy in their lives, they have taken an extra step. It's acknowledging their emotions and moving on with it. How to make it better. How to accept my imperfect um, husband or wife or partner. Am I an okay person? How am I rising to this challenge? And so I talk a lot about self-compassion and the idea that you can hold joy and sorrow in one heart. You can be sad for your child, but you can be so joyful for who your child is and cheer them on and be a happy person, even though there's a stone in your heart which tells you that this child, yes, has a disability. Yes, life isn't perfect. And we still feel that this is a gift in our life, that we have been enriched by this child. The situation has enriched us. It's not something we would have chosen, but we're going to make it work for us. And um, different types of people cope with this different than others. Um, And I did a lot of research and talk about it in our book, How You Move Past the Sorrow, the Denial, the Anger, and the Self-Judgment, to get to a place of acceptance, not only of your child, and here's the secret punchline of the book, but accepting yourself. Yeah. That you didn't do this. You didn't cause this. This is not your fault. You are not a bad parent. You are a wonderful parent. How are you going to rise to this occasion? And my whole chapter on acceptance is um, helping parents rise (coughs) to the occasion, feeling new possibilities about their own life. Um, It's been found that Parents of children who are atypical have a greater sense of compassion for others. They're more spiritual in their approach to life. They have a greater sense of one's personal strength. Um, and overall improved, develop, improved relationships, if you can build the resilience that gets you there. Exactly. And, you know, I wonder, you know, the, one of the beautiful things about this book is that this is like having you there with them to go through this. But I think it's probably really important for them to get counseling and maybe even to be in a support group. You talked about the fact that when you're in a social group, that your social friends all have kids that that are, quote, normal, right? And they're getting ready for college or all these things that you're not part of. It would seem really helpful to be in a support group with other parents who are experiencing what you're experiencing. Absolutely. Um, Even people who don't feel like they're group people or joiners, being in a support group, and I don't mean online, I mean in person, finding others who are struggling like you, um, you develop so much more resilience from knowing you're not alone. It takes you out of your isolation and self-blame and opens up your social um, horizon greatly. 
Yes, yeah, and I would think just having speaking together and being together and having the kids together would make them feel good about themselves too. That that kind of self concept issue would be great. So we've been speaking today with Rita Eckenstein, Eckenstein, who is the author of Not What I Expected, Parenting a Special Needs Child from Diagnosis to Acceptance and Beyond. And we're just about out of time, so why don't you give your website, and then it's going to be time to go, Rita. Okay, you can find more information about the book in several ways. Notwhatiexpected.info is the book's website. My blog that I write is called Positively Atypical by Dr. Rita Eichenstein. And the book is available for order on all the typical places, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, etc. Okay. And Terrific. Well, thank you so much, Rita, and thank you for all the great work that you're doing to help these families. Um, it's your ticket to heaven. <laughs> so we will talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at KUCI, no, at uh, conflicthealing.com. Thanks. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.